0: Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.
1: This is Bless You Boys Podcast 129 with special guest Rod Allen of Fox Sports Detroit. Recorded September 19th, 2014. Thanks for listening and enjoy. Welcome to the Bless You Boys podcast. We're the editorial staff of blessyouboys.com. SB Nation's Detroit Tigers blog kicks around the past week of Detroit Tigers baseball. As always, I am your host, co-managing editor of the site, Al Beaton. Joining me, as always, is the man I like to call the king of West Michigan. He's an acolyte of the Earl Weaver School of Baseball and is having a very rough softball season. And that is the man you know as Hookslide. How things on the west side of the state, Hookslide.
0: Well, the softball season is almost over, so you know we'll, we'll just be happy for the small things.
1: <laughs> so yeah, you're you're the coach. You're, no, you're an assistant coach on the team right now. So it's a yes. Yeah, it's a well. All we can hope is that competitive balance wins out, and you guys actually get a couple wins in before the end of the season. I agree. Yes. All right. Uh, a little bit about the show before we move on to our very special guest. It's kind of a continuation of what we were doing last week. So I'll, I'll let Hookslide get to that in a moment. Uh, if you'd like to contact us, uh, please email us with your thoughts and questions at bybpodcast at gmail.com. We're also at the, the catch all for Bless You Boys. That's bybtigers at gmail.com. We're on Twitter at Bless You Boys and we're also on Facebook, facebook.com slash byb.tigers. As always, just search for "Bless You Boys" on Twitter or Facebook. Like us, follow us, and we'd like to do a lot of entertaining things on on the social network. So please follow along, and we and we do try to do a lot during games. So it's a lot of fun. Join us. All right, Hookslide. I know this is uh, you did a lot of legwork into this, into getting uh, a lot of the broadcast partners of the Tigers involved with the podcast. We had Mario and Pemba on last week. So let's get our special guest on this week who has, you know, has kind of a lot to do with Mario. Well, yep. Yeah,
0: last week, like you said, you had, we had uh, Mario and Pemba on. That was a great show. So this week, we thought we would follow that up by having the other half of that dynamic duo join us. Uh, of course, you, uh, you you know him as a, a member of the nineteen eighty four World Championship team. Uh, got got a little start in broadcasting uh, with the Arizona Diamondbacks back in the late nineties, and then has spent uh, a majority of the last decade or more with Mario and Pemba in the Tigers' booth as the color analyst. So we're happy to welcome Rod Allen. Rod, how are you doing today? Hey, I'm good, fellas. How about you? I think we're doing just great. We're really, really happy to have you on the show today. Appreciate you taking the time. Oh, my pleasure. My pleasure. So, you know, you've spent so much time in the booth with Mario, you know, over the last 10 years plus. Uh, you know, we asked Mario last week uh, the question uh, just in terms of what were some of his favorite uh, moments from, you know, the, that, that time being in the booth. So I kind of wanted to get your take on that, too. Uh, just maybe, you know, your, your top one or two memories that you go back to and think, you know, I can't believe I got to be a, a a part of that to witness that and to be, you know, part of the broadcast team to describe that moment in baseball history.
2: Well, there are so many with the Tigers though, over the course of the last uh, six years or so. Uh, when Jim Leland took over in 2006, I mean, since that time, uh, we have been provided with uh, a lot of just magical moments. Um, if I was to narrow it down to just a few, uh, one of my favorite moments, obviously, is the Austin awesome Jackson catch uh, in center field, the near uh, perfect game by uh, Galarraga. Um, what a special moment! Um, very exciting time. I enjoyed that immensely in the booth, uh, all of the above. Uh, Justin Verlander's first no-hitter was obviously very, very special uh, to be a part of that. Um, and then also Miguel Cabrera and what he's been able to do. I mean, you can go a lot of different directions. You can go to New York last year, the back-to-back days, the back-to-back home runs off of uh, Mariano Rivera. You can go to a Sunday night game with Miguel Cabrera uh, last year as well where he had three home runs against the Texas Rangers. So That's those right. would be some of my top moments. There's obviously so many. But for me, those are a few that just kind of stick out and come to uh, the tip of my tongue.
1: All right, and just to kind of follow up on that, uh, you really—it really feels like your calls have become associated with a lot of these big moments. For example, the uh, O. Jackson, for example, when he made that awesome catch uh, in the Andre Galarraga game. So. I just want to get your view of that, how it really feels like your voice, and for that man Mario's, has really now been, become very intertwined with the resurgence of the Detroit Tigers over the past eight years.
2: Well, there's occasions. Obviously, uh, his job is uh, uh, to make all the calls, which uh, he usually does on a mm-hmm. nightly basis. But uh, there are moments uh, in the past where situations happen like uh, – Uh, the Austin Jackson situation, and that's Mm -hmm. kind of one of those uh, get-out-of-your-seat kind of moments. And uh, when you make that call, I mean, you're hoping that people get out of their seats as well, because Mm -hmm. that's exactly what I did. I mean, I got out of my seat, and I screamed (laughs) to the top of my lungs. So it was very, very fun. Fun call.
1: Yeah. All right. And just to – as you brought up some that out-of-your-seat moments you also are become known and actually become a favorite of the tigers fan base with some of your specific catchphrases you know through a piece of cheese country strong's a big one and i see you You know, and that gets thrown out in your twitter quite a bit or my personally my favorite a slide piece but uh can you tell us a little bit about the uh, the backstory on on say for things like i see you big fella are, are these something you've picked up Uh, During your baseball playing days, or is this uh, just what's the origin of some of these uh, uh, sayings you come up with? They seem so organic.
2: Really, no uh, huge rhyme or reason Mm -hmm. to it. To be perfectly uh, honest with you, not orchestrated at all. Uh, Just simply uh, some of the language that is used from time to time in the dugout or the clubhouse Mm -hmm. uh, as an athlete. If you're down there playing, on occasion. Uh, you might hear a guy say, or I may say, uh, he's got a nasty slide piece today, or, you know, the boy is country strong, and and apparently some of that uh, you've carried into uh, the broadcast booth with you. I see you, big fella, regarding, Mm -hmm. you know, Miguel Cabrera or any of the other things that you may hear uh, that I may say. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's not orchestrated, not necessarily planned, uh, just kind of having some fun and just trying to take the fans, you know, down into the dugout, you know, because that's the way that a lot of the players,
1: uh, do
0: talk, for instance. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and speaking of taking the the, the fans into the dugout, that we've kind of seen a little bit of the reverse of that last week in, in terms of bringing the dugout into the booth. Uh, with Fox Sports Detroit talking about moving uh, possibly to a three-man booth next year. And you guys had the opportunity to kind of experiment with that by having Jack Morris join you in the booth uh, last week. Uh, Just curious to get your take on that. What did you like about the experience? What do you see as some of the opportunities or challenges of maybe going to a three-man booth going forward?
2: Well, I really haven't heard anything concrete other than the rumors out Mm. there uh, as far as uh – whether that's something that they're going to do, something they're considering or whatever. I mean, our people have kind of been mum on that particular situation or that particular topic, but uh, I thought the week went well with Jack. I thought we had some very nice conversations. Uh, I think that uh, there was very little of us stepping on each other's toes, which is always an issue uh, when you have a three man booth, uh, who takes this replay, that replay uh, and just how much talking you overall do. But uh, Jackson icon in Detroit, And uh, we had a real nice week doing so. And uh, I don't know what they're going to do in the future, but whatever they decide, uh, I just hope that I'm still a part of it.
1: And we hope so as well. And don't cut yourself short. We consider you an icon in Detroit as well. Uh, And speaking of icons, obviously a big part of that is the 1984 World Championship Tigers. You got a chance to play with the 84 team. Uh, What was it like playing for Sparky Anderson? Because he has quite the reputation of the game as, uh, well, Uh, Obviously, what fans saw is probably a completely different thing than what you got to experience uh, playing for him. So can you uh, maybe give us an idea of what it was like playing for Sparky Anderson, maybe some of your other favorite memories of being on that world championship team?
2: He was a very bright man, obviously. Uh, He was a tremendous manager, tremendous motivator, Mm -hmm. a tremendous speaker, uh, knew how to get the most out of his players, which he was able to do uh, in a couple of different places, whether it be Cincinnati. Uh, and also Detroit. Me personally, I did not get a chance to spend a lot of time around Sparky. When I arrived in the Tigers organization in 84, Mm -hmm. I came as a minor league player. I was not even in major league spring training that particular year, but I was performing so well on the minor league side that uh, on occasion, they would call over players to play a big league game. Mm -hmm. And Sparky called for me one day. I went over. uh, I got a couple hits that particular day. And to make a long story short, Uh, Sparky continued to ask for them to send me over to the major league side in 84 as the team was starting to wind down spring training and they were starting to Gather all their pieces and put their team together Uh, And I just continued to perform very very well even though I was still dressing in the minor league side I was still living with all the minor league players. I was still playing in a lot of major league games and then I ended up making that team out of spring training so Uh, that is a very memorable moment for me in my career to make that team out of minor league spring training where no one even knew Rod Allen before spring training started. But Mm -hmm. Sparky was fair to me, and uh, he gave me every opportunity early uh, to play against left-handers. I did well hitting .296, uh, going to the ballpark every single day with those guys as good as they were. 35 and 5 start. I mean, you could just imagine. I mean, getting off the bus every day with a Morris and a Petrie Mm -hmm. and a Lance Parrish and a Trammell and a Whitaker and a Herndon and a Gibson and and a Lemon, and not to mention uh, the bullpen with with Hernandez, you knew you were going to win the game. Uh, So it was a very fun time. Uh, I enjoyed the 35 and 5 start. Unfortunately, I didn't get a chance to finish the year in the big leagues, but, Mm -hmm. you know, I have a World Series ring from it. And, uh, I've been able to carve it out to a really nice career as well because I have a strong belief that as I spent that time on the 84 championship team as a player, Hmm. albeit very short, uh, I probably do not get this opportunity to be their broadcaster. So uh, everything has its way of working itself out.
0: No, that's a very good point. One thing kind of leads to another, and there's there's that little bit of connection now with you in the booth and saying this is one of the guys that was there on that magical season. Uh, now, I know after the, the 84 season, as time went on, you spent a little bit of time uh, in Japan, and I, our listeners would absolutely riot if I didn't ask you about the infamous incident in Japan. It's become something of a, of a folklore legend among our fan base and i assume you know the the incident to which i'm referring uh it's a, there's a viral video on youtube of a, a japanese pitcher being chased by a young rod allen after being hit by a pitch so if we can tax your memory just a little bit take us back to that day i i'm very curious to hear the story had had the pitcher thrown at anybody else that day had he hit you earlier in the day what what kind of happened there just kind of walk us through that
2: well <clears throat> video out there of it but not nearly to the length of what you guys usually see you Mm -hmm. just usually see him throwing the ball behind me and then you see this maniac uh, running out (laughs) towards him and then this guy taking off towards center field and then this maniac being myself having to chase him down but you know i was having a really good day that day i had already homered that day i hit a double that day and i was on second base this was like the previous at bat. And a guy got a base hit, and the catcher was blocking home plate, so I had to slide around the catcher. You know, then obviously the same situation happened later in the game, and this time, you know, he was blocking the plate again, and I ended up running over the catcher. You know, so they got really upset at the fact that I, you know, run over the catcher because they don't really play the game as aggressively in Japan as we do in the United States. They don't break up a lot of double plays, and very seldom do you see the catchers uh, getting ran over. So... Something uh just told me that the next time I came up in that game, you know, they were gonna throw a pitch at me. And um and they did so. So I was kinda like premeditated in my mind, so to speak, even though the guy threw the ball behind me, I'd already told myself if he throws at me I'm gonna go out there and get him and then that's where the rest of the story kind of began, to be honest with you. <laughs> so, so you decided that you were going to go after him. And that, did you ever
0: expect that he was going to take off and and, and try to nope, flee the scene? No, never.
2: You never expect that. I mean, that's <laughs> the first time I've ever charged a mound anywhere. So, I mean, you expect a confrontation, maybe uh, some pushing, some shoving around the mound. But you know, I didn't expect to have to run 340 uh from home played out the left field. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I
0: don't think I've ever seen that in any other baseball clip. I mean, in a mound confrontation, I've never seen a pitcher run from the scene of the crime. So I just, I can't imagine what's going through your head at that point, thinking, "Well, now I got to chase the guy." What, I mean, what were you going to do with him once you caught him? So.
2: <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. To be perfectly honest with you, I really wasn't all that upset when I got to him, because, uh, and I wasn't all that upset from the beginning. It kind of looked that way, mm-hmm. but I just knew they were going to throw at me, so it was just one of those things.
1: All right. Uh- we, we asked Mario about, uh, about advanced metrics, saber metrics last week and trying to meld, uh, those, the, the stats such as, uh, uh, fielding independent pitching or even on base percentage, uh, to the more casual fan base that, uh, that makes up the majority of your, your audience. Uh, we wanted to, we wanted to get a, a former ball player's view on these advanced metrics, uh, you know, war and, uh, you know, there's also so many different ways that, uh, magicians measure baseball performance. Uh, and often we notice former players seem to advocate, uh, some more of the small ball strategies, bunting, hit and run, uh, taking the extra base, stealing, uh, that sort of thing. And a lot of, you know, the intangibles also seem to play a lot of it, you know, heart and hustle, that sort of thing. And while you'll have more of the online stats analysis, they try to prefer, uh, they just want, they want, they like the numbers that tell them that say, we, uh, you know, bunting really is not the best way to move bunners around the base, for example. Or they're, they're, they're trying to, I, well, let me ask you, put it this way. From your perspective, as a former ball player who really knows he understand, understands the baseball world, has really spent his entire life in the baseball world, do you, do you feel there's a real disconnect between the two schools of thought, those who, uh, Kind of distill baseball into numbers, and and the ball players and the broadcasters who you know, see baseball a little differently.
2: I don't necessarily uh, think it's a disconnect because I think what you have is some very bright general managers out there mm-hmm. that have uh, uh, strategically, you know, placed a lot of the numbers into their uh, decision making. Mm-hmm. I think you have your great general managers out there, and David Dombrowski uh, would be an example of that who clearly relies on the naked eye. He has a lot of people that have worked for him for a long, long time uh, that he trusts. And when he needs a pitcher, he sends a particular guy out to see all the pitching to make sure that uh, it's as what he thinks it is. So uh, I think Dave Dombrowski's done a very nice job of of integrating the two. And there's some other really good general managers out there that have done as much. Me, myself as well. I like the naked eye stuff Mm -hmm. uh, because it tells you a lot about a player and everything that goes into performing on any given day, but there are some numbers out there that are very valuable to some people, and I use some of the numbers. I don't get inundated with numbers mm-hmm. uh, because that's not what I do, but I think there's a place for it. You know, I just, uh, um, you know, and it's going to be around for a while. So if you're not into it, yeah. uh, you need to get into it because there's a lot of guys that are running franchises now that are very. Uh, into a lot of the Sabre metrics.
1: Yeah, and just to follow up on that, have you seen some of the changes in that uh, since your years in baseball? Because you were a ball player in the mid-80s in the big leagues, and really, uh, I remember when I was growing up as a fan as well, it was really about batting average RBIs and home runs. Now, uh, it really seems like a more accurate way of of finding a player's production is like it's on-base percentage, it's slugging percentage, that sort of thing. So... uh, Do you think that uh, in that way it it has made baseball a better game because it allows them to uh, maybe find different types of players, such as, for example, the Billy Ball we used to see or, for that matter, the Money Ball type of
2: uh, teams? Uh, I don't really think so. I think your good teams are the ones that are going to win championships. I Mm -hmm. think uh, if you look back at some of the good teams that have won championships the last couple of years, uh, they've had really good pitching. They've had outstanding bullpen. They've had some guys in the middle of the order. Uh, they can drive guys in from first base. Uh, like I said, there's a place for the numbers, uh, but ultimately uh, it's the players that win the championships. And when you have really good players, uh, mm-hmm. you get into postseason baseball, and ultimately if you're good enough, uh, you win world championships. There are some valuable numbers out there, matchups. You might have a guy that's really good against left-handers or verse, uh, vice versa, right-handers, that you might lean toward in certain situations. But ultimately, um uh, I think it has a place in the game, but I don't mm-hmm. think it's going to take over the game.
1: Yeah, there's a, there's a happy medium out there somewhere, and that's I guess we just need to find
2: it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So Rod, uh, as we as we wind things down here, we want to be respectful of your time. I really appreciate you coming on the show here. Uh let's talk a little bit about this 2014 season. Obviously the Tigers are going into Kansas City tonight. We're recording this on Friday afternoon. Uh possibly the biggest series of the year. And just to get your uh, your thoughts on, you know, do you, do you feel the Tigers are still a lock for the division championship? And then uh, beyond that, if they get into the playoffs, who do you see as being their, their biggest competition, both from the American League side and from the National League side?
2: Well, I don't know if they're a locked for the division, uh, but they are very capable of winning the division with the talent uh, that they have. Uh, there's no question about that. Um, as far as uh, any team out there that has a chance of getting into the postseason, uh, whether it be the Angels or whether it be Seattle, whether it be Oakland, uh, the Nationals are already in. St. Louis is obviously a very good team. Uh, they all pose different threats. Some have great pitching. Some have outstanding makeup and character, postseason presence. Uh, you name it. There's a lot of really, really good teams out there. So uh, I don't know if one team presents a more of a problem or a challenge for the Tigers than any other team. Uh, this much I will say about Detroit, when this season began, uh, there were a lot of experts out there to pick the Tigers uh, to win the World Championship. Their season hasn't gone all that smoothly, uh, but from that standpoint, maybe it's the other teams that are maybe looking at the Tigers and trying to figure out whether do we want to match up with a with a with a Verlander and a Scherzer and a Porcello and a Price, or would we rather see some other teams? So uh, the Tigers present just as many problems as other teams do.
0: And so, if they if they get into that postseason run, and you're looking at the possibility of facing off against the Orioles or possibly the Angels, depending on how things shake out, and then even beyond that, maybe having to deal with the say the Washington Nationals, who have been super hot. Uh, who, who do you like in those matchups, and who do you kind of hope they they get to avoid?
2: Uh, that really doesn't matter to me. I, like I said, all guys, all of them have their strengths and their weaknesses. Like uh, Miguel Cabrera and J.D. Martinez and Victor Martinez are swinging the bats the way that they're swinging the bats right now in September. And if David Price can get straightened out and pitch better than he fits in the Tigers uniform, and Porcello and Max continue to do what they've done, I like the Tigers just as much as I like those other teams. So I'm not necessarily looking at it from what the other team could do. If the Tigers handle their business, they're just as good as most teams are out there right
0: now. That's as good as answer as any I've heard yet so far. So, Al, anything before we wrap up?
1: No, I just uh, just wanted to uh, add, Rod, thank you again for your time. And if the uh, listeners would like to contact you, uh, are are you on Twitter or any of the social networks? Uh, Rod Allen
2: 12, uh, I do
1: uh, use Twitter. Got Rod Allen 12 on Twitter. Got it. We'll make sure to add that to the show notes. And once again, Rod, thank you so much for your time, and I um, hope you enjoy your weekend in Kansas City. I hope we all enjoy your weekend in Kansas City, and we'll look for you on TV tonight. Thank you. All
2: right, thank you very much.
1: And thanks again for Rod Allen for taking time out of his busy schedule. So uh, so far Hokeside uh, we've had uh, we've gotten the TV crew taken care of with Mario and Pemba and Rod Allen. Um, next week we'll uh, we start the radio crew uh, with Dan Dickerson. I'm looking forward to talking to him.
0: Yeah, absolutely. That That's going to be a lot of fun talking to uh, talking with Dan. Um, we'll, we'll see if we can push it any further and maybe get Jim Price on one of these future podcasts. But, uh, so, uh, yeah, definitely having a lot of fun with talking with these guys. And, uh, you know, that that's the first time that I've ever heard the full story behind the Japan. Incident. Yeah,
1: yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, because obviously there's more to the story then because what you see on, on video, just him, the pitch, and then they're gone. And right. you know, so it was nice getting kind of filled in that there was a, you know, obviously there was a lot more to the story, but you know, the, and you know, this gets kind of lost in the, in, in the lore of it, so to speak. So
0: yeah, there's only so much you can capture in a viral video,
1: right? Bingo. So. Exactly. All right. So uh, since we got, we, we sort of ended the show. I mean, I should say ended the interview of Rod uh, talking about the Tiger's chances for this weekend. Well, that's what we're going to do as well is we're going to kind of look back at the Twins series, which really was a bit of a disappointment, and what we can expect this coming weekend against the Royals, and hopefully the Tigers will have themselves set up for essentially, I won't call it a victory lap over last week, but at least a more comfortable last week if they can take care of business in Kansas City. But things got a little more difficult, hook slide, after they swept the Indians and looked pretty darn good doing it, you know, with some... You know some late inning wins, good pitching. No, they looked very. very they looked like the team we thought they're going to see most of the year. Well, in Minnesota, that the other team showed up. They failed to extend their division lead. They dropped two of three to the Twins, while at the same time the Royals were taking two or three from the White Sox, including one game where they beat Chris Sale. That was a huge disappointment to the fan base. Uh, currently, the uh, last place Twins are winning the season series, eight games to seven, and. Yet, you know, there's still, I believe, uh, I think three games left with the Twins this year. Actually, four games. They end the season with them. Uh, that could play a part in how the season ends. But more than anything else, it looks like I was really disappointed in those last two games of the Minnesota series just because obviously one was the the ninth oh, inning employees, yeah. in which had a mixture of Joe Nathan being Joe Nathan and um, – like with Zeal carrera making well we'll talk about that yeah and obviously yeah. then david price uh not pitching like well he, he had a chris sale type performance on the same damn night unfortunately uh, so, yeah <laughs> you know so well no it, it's just a shame how it worked out because the tigers for the most part have been playing very very well in minnesota as of late like, the last, last few years well right
0: yeah but I mean, i I You know, I was disappointed, too. I mean, obviously, you lose two games like that in a row. Uh, mm-hmm. Expectation is everything. We expected to win that middle game going yeah. into the ninth inning with the lead after such a dramatic, you know, home run from J.D. Martinez. So that hurts, you know, a lot. And then to go into that final game thinking that this is a lock because Chris Sale is going against the Royals and David Price is going against the Twins. Mm-hmm. You know, in every other alternate universe, Price wins, and so does Sale, and the Tigers exactly. gain another game. So those, those are just those... Uh, you know conundrums in the brain slivers in the brain that just you, you, they hurt um but on the whole i was thinking about this today if you look back at that beginning with the series with kansas city which was mm-hmm. the big important one last uh you know going into that uh, three game series that they took two of three which was the, the you know a great outcome i don't think anyone expected a sweep right getting two of three was great i expected maybe two of three from cleveland but they swept yeah and so I also expected probably two of three from from Minnesota. But if you kind of go back and kind of do the math and say if things had gone more normally and they only took two of three,
1: mm-hmm.
0: you know, from uh, from Cleveland, you know, we'd, we'd kind of be in the same in the same position in terms of yeah. the ultimate number of wins and losses. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's, it's it's a lucky thing that they that they got that uh, series sweep from from Cleveland. But, uh, you know, boy, you just uh, you feel like you can't be losing. Series games to you know to the last place twins.
1: Yeah, that's the issue. You want as long as they win series, they're going to be okay. And you would have expected them to win that series. It was just, uh, I think more than anything, you know, it was as disappointing as the ninth inning loss was, seeing David Price's game, I think, is what was, was felt more was 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 a gut punch in a way, just because you you expected so much more from him. And I, honestly, I think the Tigers were expecting more from David Price as well. Well, he
0: sure has leaned a couple of goose eggs, you know, in the yeah. last the last couple outings. Uh, it, it seems to be, as someone pointed out, kind of in every other yeah. outing sort of situation. You know, we had that really bad outing against the Yankees, uh, what was that, like eight runs, I think? It was an
1: eight-run third inning. Right.
0: Right. And then, mm-hmm. uh, you know, kind of a similar implosion against the Giants uh, and then this, you know, the Twins. And I would even go back to the to the I mean, second or third game that he pitched for Detroit against Toronto, mm-hmm. uh, you know, going into, you know, I think it was a five nothing lead that he let become a five two lead. And then right before he left the game, he was responsible for two more of those runs, mm-hmm. uh, kind of let Toronto back in that game. Yeah. And ultimately they, they won it. You know, so there's there's been some outings for David Price that have looked really awesome you know what do you do with the guy who throws a one hitter and mm-hmm. still takes the loss yeah those things you just can't you know you can't do anything about that but but those 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 off games are just they're they're confusing they're frustrating you know i don't know what, what you can do with that
1: it, it, it's it's similar to uh, last year and rick porcello versus the angels <laughs> you throw those games out and he had a great year it was just those handful of games that skewed his stats and and but and it's weird if Price, because his peripherals completely say otherwise, that he's pitching very, very well. No, specifically, his field independent pitching is even lower than his career number and what he had with the Royals. Yet, his numbers are 3-4 and four for 409 ERA in Detroit. And as you mentioned, uh, you know, watch your virgin ears, but he's had some complete, utter what-the-fuck innings. You know, that 8-run inning against the Yankees, the 4-run inning against the Giants, and then that 3-run first inning... Against the Twins, after the Tigers had given him a two-run lead, and then gave, gave another two runs, and he couldn't hold that lead. So, and Price d- does realize this because even after the the Twins game, he said, "I'm a better pitcher than this," and he is. It's just that. Yeah, you know it's it's unfortunately now it's time to see it because he's really only going to have two starts left in this season, at least a regular season.
0: Right, right, and that's, and that's kind of the issue. I know if you, you look at these last couple starts, you know, and say what's well, it, it been like three out of the last five games? He's he's mm-hmm. not done well at all. And I realize that that's a small sample size, but as we said last week, you know, guys, small sample sizes are all we have left. Yeah, exactly. You know, you can say that's five games is a small sample, but, you know, so is the remaining, you know, whatever it is, nine or 10 games that we have left in the season. We, we don't have 50 more games for David Price to kind of let the luck even out, so to speak. Mm-hmm. He's got to come back and be dominant. Yep. Yeah.
1: yeah. It's, uh, uh, it, it, it put, I guess to put it this way is um, the Tigers' strength is starting pitching. Unfortunately, they're starting pitching, specifically, if you want to call them the big three of Price, Scherzer, and Verlander. Has let the Tigers down over the past few weeks,
0: right? Scherzer uh, maybe a little bit less so. I mean, it's felt like it. The, you mm-hmm. know, the, what, what, what Rod Allen just called the naked eye test. You yeah, know, yeah, says uh, you know it's it's not looked good. Hmm. Um, the outing that he had against Chicago sometime back there, where where uh, the Tigers jumped out. Early and gave him a three nothing lead against Chris Sale of all people. Yeah, you know, and then he proceeded to cough it back up. Uh, stuff like that sticks, you know. Mm-hmm. So I know Scherzer has not seemed like his dominant self. However, he has had a pretty good stretch of you know where he's only giving up say three runs or so. Yeah. In a game, what's happening, Al? I think is that the offense is bailing him out as they have been. They've been bailing mm-hmm. out the team for the last what five six games. Yeah. yeah. You, you talk about that series sweep in Cleveland and uh, you know even the win in Minnesota. There was like four nights in a row where the Tigers provided late inning home runs mm-hmm. to yeah. you know to either tie the game or come back you know and take the lead late in right. the game. So, um, you know, on the one hand, that's great. You need that kind of uh, never say die offense, especially going into the postseason. You want these guys to be a team that doesn't go away. Hmm. You know that that hangs around right to the end and, and and surprises you with with big hits late in the game. On the other hand, it might be masking a little bit. Uh, you know, some of the pitching performances.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it's, um, uh, again, I, I guess the best way to put it is just frustr. It's very frustrating to see this team at times struggle the way they do. And the naked eye, I, I, again, referring to Rod Allen, you know, naked eye makes you think this team is struggling in a lot of phases. But then when you look at the numbers, like the offense, who leads the league in scoring. So, uh, it's, it's a conundrum. <laughs> I, mean, I think we're all having trouble wrapping our heads around. All right. For the, for the uh, rotation for the Royal Series, the Tigers did take their time announcing it. Uh, brad osmus uh I think the words he used was there there were moving pieces going on here, and they they were waiting for these moving pieces to stop I think specifically uh where they were in the standings uh Justin Verlander had a blister on his pitching hand and uh, and the decision whether to skip Kyle Lobstein in the rotation because uh, obviously, we're recording this on Friday afternoon before the first game of the Royal Series. Uh, this would normally have been Lobstein's game to start, obviously, in place of Annabelle Sanchez. Uh, Brad Ausmus has elected to skip Lobstein, moving his start back to Monday, giving David Price an extra day off, and he's going to go with veterans for the three games, Justin Berlander, Max Scherzer, and Rick Porcello. Uh you really can't fault the Tigers for doing this. You got to go with long-term track records, even though the Tigers are four and zero in Lobstein starts. But I think some of that is—I I, I don't want to use the term to winning in spite of Lobstein. But <laughs> what you're right. going to get from him is going to put pressure on the bullpen. You really can't be sure if he's going to come out—you know—how he's going to come out pitching. You know, this this is a new experience for a guy like Lobstein, so I can understand why they did it. Uh, I just hope that Verlander, Scherzer, and Porcello pitch to their track records and maybe not so much what we've seen as of late. Yeah,
0: for people that kind of – I don't know that I've heard anyone say this, you know, that they'd rather see Lobstein get that start because he's had some good performances. You do have to take that into account, though, and say you realize if Lobstein pitches, that means Lobstein for probably five innings and then bullpen for the next four. Do you really want to do that
1: Mm -hmm.
0: against the Royals? Probably not. On the other hand, Verlander has been a big, hot – Pile of meh Mm -hmm. this year. So we're not saying he's bad. You know, it's just been very touch and go. I
1: mean, you could make the argument that Verlander is a five or six inning guy too with this.
0: Yeah. I mean, potentially. I mean, he's shown us that this year. But like you said, the track record suggests at least uh, Verlander has a better chance of of having a breakthrough game. Exactly. And giving you seven, maybe eight innings, even, you know, should it please the baseball gods, Mm -hmm. uh, than than Kyle Epstein will ever have. Um, so yeah, the, the, the pitching rotation for that series, it seems to me to kind of get stronger and stronger with each game. Verlander, you go, I don't know, uh, Scherzer. Okay. A little getting better, you know, and Then mm-hmm. Porcello, who's been just awesome this year.
1: Yeah. And, uh, I guess with, especially with, uh, Verlander and Scherzer, the first few innings will really tell a toll. Uh, if the story will be told in the first, as we saw with Price against the twins, pitch counts. Uh, Verlander has been known to run up some elevated pitch counts early in games, and which has caused him to tire, you know, in that fifth or sixth inning range. Yeah. You know, if Verlander is pushing a hundred pitches in the fifth inning, uh, that's when I should really start getting worried. And it's that sixth inning where he really seems to be getting into trouble. And you could say, you know, and the same with Scherzer. You know, you would love to see Scherzer pitch deep into the game. But realistically, he's not a very efficient pitcher and tends to, you know, the Tigers will be lucky to get seven out of Scherzer.
0: Yeah, and I think that kind of goes with the profile, if I'm not mistaken. Mm -hmm. The the power pitcher profile, these guys that rack up a lot of strikeouts per nine also tend to, like you said, rack up the pitch counts, you know. Uh, And I've noticed that, you know, I'd love to do a a post Sunday and kind of crunch the numbers, but I've noticed Mm -hmm. just the the gut test says or the eye test says that... uh, both Scherzer and, and Verlander, even more so, tend to have have a little tougher time the first inning, yeah, or maybe the first two, and then once they settle in, third, fourth, fifth, I and mean, then they can roll, yeah. So you know, it, it's it's one of those things where you know if they if they don't get rocked too hard early on, and the offense can kind of do some things early before mm-hmm. having to get into that vaunted Cal, uh, Kansas City bullpen, mm-hmm. you know, then you should be okay in the series.
1: Yeah, yeah it's uh, it really does come down to. The starting pitching, it really does. And for that matter, if the Tigers can get some early leads, so they won't have to face that murderer's row of a bullpen that the Royals have pretty much put together in the seventh or eighth inning. So if the Tigers go down in a game uh, against the Royals and they're down in the seventh or eighth, I'm not liking their chances.
0: Yeah, but stranger things have happened. You know, we were just watching the uh, was it the it was the White Sox. Mm-hmm. Just the other night, uh, yeah. they they had a lead late in the game, and uh, yeah. it was Wade Davis, you know, he mm-hmm. of the the sub 1.00 ERA, yeah. who came in and promptly coughed up the lead. So mm-hmm. uh, it's an anomaly, I know, but uh, there's there's always a chance that even if you do get to the Royals bullpen, you know, maybe just maybe.
1: Yeah. Well, speaking, I, I guess we can't call it an anomaly at this point because Joe Nathan, uh, for the most part has really struggled, even though he did have a stretch recently where at the you know he wasn't blowing leads but that the loss on Tuesday really was a, a really a, a, it, it stuck in your craw one because the tigers had struggled all game long and then exploded for three runs in the ninth behind JD Martinez and then Nathan and Carrera helped to implode uh, that uh, that everything that they had gained uh and there was a lot of finger pointing after that game, at least with the fans and media, not so much with the team. You know, Joe Nathan, uh, to his credit, I think he learned his lesson. Uh, he goes, I, I appreciate it. he gave 110. You know, you don't want a guy not wanting to not catch the ball. So you know, at least he, you know, he played that card well. But that was that was one of those situations where uh, you have a, a center fielder who you wish would have taken lessons from Austin Jackson. It was just one of those things where. There's a there's a time and place for diving, that was not that time or place to say the very least. Because if you look behind him, you know when you saw that play developing on television, you could just see that huge expanse of green behind him, <laughs> and no no one no one was able to, no you know, mm-hmm. you know Martinez and Hunter aren't going to be able to back him up on a line drive, and just to see that it's like oh you know, I was like. Oh, my stomach dropped as I saw that Did, play happening. Oh, yeah. my God. Did the whole thing happen in slow motion for you, too? sure felt that one. <laughs> like a slow
0: motion train, like you were in a car wreck. <laughs> right, right. Once I saw him running towards the ball, and and there was that little moment of, like, I can see the the intent forming. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he, oh, God, he's going to dive. He's going to dive. No. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, of course, he missed it by, by a wide shot. And to, to listen to uh, Jim Price on the radio, -hmm. And he was just beside himself.
1: I can imagine. And and
0: over and over again, you know, went back to that play and said, "How do you misplay that? You can't misplay that. You can't do that. You got to get in front of the ball." We'd have runners at first and second. Just a terrible play, terrible play. And we're going to get into this a little bit later with Mm -hmm. the, um, you know, Brad Ausmus discussion. But that just kind of it raises all sorts of questions in terms of what 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 is Ezekiel Carrera doing out there in center field at that point in the game.
1: Mm -hmm. anyway yeah
0: uh, well we'll talk about that later i guess yeah
1: yeah we'll get into that in a little bit because there's a whole conversation that can be go around defensive substitutions pulling bats out of the game things like that But we were talking about joe nathan i think was yeah exactly uh, (laughs) Um, and and and
0: there i think i've I've said in comments on the on the site since you know the last couple days my my biggest irritation right now is is just the fact that joaquin soria is missing in action I mean, I assume he's dead at this point. I don't know. <laughs> uh but but I, I do know that we gave up a hell of a lot yes, we did. to get Joachim Soria and, and I, I said recently in a comment on the site that you know when we traded for Soria, I was all for it and said it was not an overpay because I assumed we were getting a potential closer in the in the in the process. And if I had known at the time that we were just getting a a, a sometime seventh inning guy or possibly it will use him in the ninth if the game is tied. I mean, this guy is basically a utility pitcher at this point. And that, I mean, to me, that's just, you, you don't give up Corey Canable and Jake Thompson for a, a utility pitcher that's going to get used in that way.
1: Yeah, yeah. And, that, and that's and thats really, it's disturbing, his use is uh, as, well, I guess the best way to put it, it feels like Soria is just rotting in the bullpen right now. Uh, sure, yeah, sure, You maybe they, they had to build him up to, a little bit after he missed that a, a fair amount of time due to the injury. But over the past week, you know, it just seems like the use of him, like there's no real plan as to how they're going to use uh, Soria, save for he's going to close occasionally because they don't want to use Nathan more than two nights in a row. And be honest with right. you, I'm uncomfortable using Nathan in back to back games, period. Right. Well, three games is an absolute roll of the dice. But... It's, yeah, so you, so you got this guy here who can get outs in the seventh and eighth inning. When you, when right now we're watching Jabba Chamberlain implode, and that's the bothersome Yes,
0: part. and Joakim Surya is a closer. Yes, I mean whatever that might mean, you know, to anybody. But he, he was doing that for, for Texas prior to coming to Detroit, so he's got that on his resume. Why, at the very least, he's not trading games with Joe Nathan as a regular occurrence. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I don't understand that. But uh, you know, somebody on Twitter, I think it was Noah Trister, had said, you know, that basically his usage right now is, is he gets used as long as he's not in somebody else's way.
1: Yeah.
0: In other words, Jabba Chamberlain owns the eighth inning. Yeah, and that's kind of ridiculous at this point, right? So unless Java can't get there, you know that. Okay, fine. We'll put Soria in there to spell, you mm-hmm. know, Java, or we'll put Soria in the ninth to spell Nathan. But yeah, basically, as long as he's not in somebody else's way, you know, he'll get some playing time. But that's that's a ridiculous use of somebody that you paid, you know, that much to get. Yeah,
1: yeah. It's uh, it's it's just mind blowing to me that you know, and it, it, that sometimes it feels like the Tigers aren't willing to change. Midstream in a plan. For example, they plan on saving Soria to close a game, for example, because they don't want to use Nathan, you know, and say in a, in a third game in a row. But what dif- what difference is it going to make if you can't get an out that you need in the seventh or eighth inning, and then he just goes to waste? That's what get, kind of gets me with the use of a closer. Period. And that sometimes you need to use your best pitcher in the sixth inning or the seventh inning. To make sure that you're winning in the ninth inning. And if you ask me, I mean, I'll, uh, that, yeah, I know there's that closer mentality stuff, but if you have a halfway decent pitcher, you get, you put him to start an inning with a couple run lead in the ninth inning and you if the base is empty, odds are pretty darn good he's going to get you through the, no, get you through that inning. I mean, go Valley Albuquerque for Christ's sake or, or right. playing Hardy, you know, if you, if you need someone to get that knife, if, but, they got to start using Soria in high-leverage situations, and they just aren't.
0: No, no, they're not. And I, I, I also made that comment on the site earlier this week. That it was, it was very telling to me that mm-hmm. uh, he almost came into that game Tuesday that Joe Nathan ended up blowing. Yeah. And Brad Oswis' comment after the game was, "Well, Soria was there if the game was tied." Yep. Then I was going to bring him in, and Joe Nathan was going to come in if they had the lead. And I thought later,
1: he'll save my closer,
0: right? And I, I thought about that later and thought, wait a minute, they're they're in Minnesota, right? So if they go into the ninth inning and the game is tied, then one run wins the game. It's a walk off for the Twins. Yeah. So he was willing to put Soria in that situation with zero room for error. Mm-hmm. One run is it. Yeah. Whereas when they had a lead, then he goes to Nathan. I thought, well, you know, they, I don't think he realizes he's saying this, but what Osmus mm-hmm. is effectively saying, is story is the better pitcher.
1: Yeah.
0: I'll put him in there with zero margin of error, but I'll, I'll save Nathan for when he's got a little bit more room to make mistakes. Hmm. Okay. So why isn't Soria closing then? <laughs> you know, yeah. if he can hold a a tie in the ninth, then by extension, logically, he can close the ninth. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's
1: it's well. I guess, we, why don't we just say, since we're going off on this, let's just segue into that Osmus discussion. I can't, Al. I'm I'm ready to pop. You've got me so upset. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, he has been catching a great deal of grief for his in-game strategy of late, like, and part of it has been that his, his use of pitchers and, and the bullpen. I mean, even I've gone off on him in the last two games in the recaps, but some of his strategy just seems nonsensical to me. Uh like a big one of me is he's pulling his infield in far too early in games. You know, it's you know, they're down a run or two. It's still plenty of time to come back, especially if the you know with the middle of the order, and we'll get into how well they're playing as of late. You know, the Tigers can come back. Yet for some reason he insists on pulling the run the, the infield in. And we, we saw an example of this in Minnesota. He pulls his infield in, uh, you know, I think it was a one-nothing or two nothing game. A ground ball that yeah, would have been an out and would have scored a run, but you would have got the out, but it's because he had pulled the infield in. It turned into a run scoring single instead of a run scoring out, you know, essentially given the, the twins an extra out. That's the sort of stuff that really, really bothers me. It's just, you know, there's a time and place for pulling your infield in. The third inning is not it. Now, same for bunting. You know, there's a time and place for it, not in the third, fourth or fifth inning. Uh, God forbid, you know, we go into obvious pitch-hitting situations, and he's got a couple guys who, a few guys that at least in a certain situation could really help you out, such as James McCann has shown to be, a, at least in, in minors, a very, very good hitter against, uh, I believe, it was a right-handed pitching. Uh, you got Stephen Moya, huge, huge power, uh, but he elected to use Don Kelly Instead of a guy who might be able to hit you one out of the park, and Kelly, or for that matter, Tyler Collins, and and, and then all of a sudden he reverted from that a game a game later, and then he starts doing it. So the, it was the inconsistency of it which started to bug me. Then obviously there's another one. The any pitchers. Now we can go into pulling Rick Porcello after 103 pitches in the eighth. I looked at his numbers. I believe. uh He's pitched more than 103 pitches or more in a game 13 times this year. So why pull? You no, know, It was one of those things where Osmus has obviously become this baseball Bible button pusher who does not think anywhere near out of the box. So we figured it's the eighth inning, Porcello's done. I'm going with my closer in the ninth. I don't care if Rick Porcello has a low pitch count and is pitching great. He just came off a one, two, three inning. I'm going with my closer because that's what Tony La Russa decided 20 years ago, and that's the sort of stuff that really, really bothers me. And oh, this is not even go into this mass defensive, uh, mass defensive changes late in games. Mm-hmm. You have mm-hmm. a shaky bullpen, as we've been discussing. Uh, yet he pulls. Well, for example, if Tuesday's game was tied after nine innings, which was a very definite possibility. The Tigers would have been without the bats of JD Martinez and Miguel Cabrera. And that's not the first time stuff like that has happened where he's pulled, uh, his best offensive players seventh or eighth inning so he can get Don Kelly and Carrera and move, move Rajai Davis from center to left. And it's ridiculous. You no, know, that's the sort of stuff where what do you ever remember? Jim Leland, no, for example. No, Colleen, no, no. out of a game at any time. <laughs> and,
0: and, unless the season was clinched,
1: yeah. Exactly.
0: You know, fine. Then he would do that or if beginning of the day off or whatever. But, uh, you know, you talk about Brad Austin's been kind of a button pusher. And at the same time, we saw some very bizarre yeah. non-button-pushing style moves oh, yeah. when it's they when weird. they didn't make sense. Yeah. Uh, it, it, where he brought in uh, Kyle Ryan. Yes. In a yes. high-leverage high situation. You go, it's what? Joe Maurer. Against Joe Maurer, of all people, uh, he let Jim Johnson roll with two innings.
1: Yes, that's another risky he's situation. Like, Wait a minute. If you're going
0: to do this whole I'll pitch a pitcher two innings, then do it with Jabba Chamberlain. Mm-hmm. I know he's not been good recently, but, you know, back in the first half, he was dynamite. Or this guy named Soria. <laughs> or Storia, for that matter. But, I mean, yeah. I, I, I thought that a lot in the early, you know, uh, in the first half, when Java would come out and throw a six-pitch inning and get yes. three outs. Yeah,
1: he was very effective. Roll
0: yeah. him into the ninth. Never, mm. never, never. But we'll let Jim Johnson do that. Okay. okay. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it doesn't make sense. But the thing I was going to mention earlier about, you know, with the Ezekiel Carrera situation and, and bringing uh-huh. him in as a defensive replacement, now I, I get that on occasion you need to swap good defense for for better offense. Okay, right. and he's been doing that with playing Andrew Romine at shortstop. You know, instead of uh, Eugenio Suarez, who, who is supposedly a little better, you know, on the offensive side, uh, you, you get it too with when he puts Don Kelly in and starts him at third base instead of Nick Castellanos. You know, uh-huh. okay, so you're trading a little bit of power, a little bit of offense for for superior defense. Fine, I get that. Why you're bringing in Ezekiel Carrera as a supposed defensive upgrade over Rajay Davis yeah. makes zero sense to me. Because, look, if you really think Carrera is the better defender, why wasn't he starting the game? Yeah, It's not like you're trading you know, huge offensive upside and keeping Rajay Davis in against a right-handed pitcher. Do you, you kind of see what I'm saying? Yeah. He, he chose to start a supposedly inferior defender in Rajay Davis for that game, even though he's terrible against right-handed pitching. Rather than just start Carrera, who, who apparently Osmus thinks is the better defense, and nothing about this makes sense to me. Mm-hmm. It just—I yeah. I, I continually scratch my head. I don't—I don't get it. I don't ever remember being this, you know, perplexed with with Leland, other than you know some of the bullpen stuff. Like, why are you still closing with Valverde? You yeah. know, that kind of stuff. Yeah, but uh, for Osmus it seems to be more um, pervasive throughout the game, not just not just the bullpen.
1: Yeah, it's uh, there. It's uh, it, it, it's it's. Uh, yeah, I'm at, and see, you're, you're about ready to pop, and I'm at a loss for words when it comes to talking about some of these oddball moves, and it's become very, very frustrating. And I, the, what really gets me though is some of that late game pulling of your bats. I mean, is JD Martinez really so bad of a defender that you gotta pull him from left field, but then not pull Tory Hunter, who's worse in right?
0: Right. It, it, that's like the I said, sort it of just... thing
1: that boggles my mind because Tory Hunter, if you look at the metrics, is probably the defense, worst defensive outfielder in big leagues this year. Right. Yeah, he and, never gets pulled.
0: And, and, the, and the swap out there was to put Rajay Davis in left field. Yeah. And I, I think he's far worse in left than he is in center. Yeah, and we've seen yeah. that this year. Right, so uh, like you said, it's the, the old adage that uh, that I kind of you know swear by is that the manager should be sort of you know like a like a good pair of shoes and that you don't notice them, mm-hmm. you know. And if you do notice them, it's usually because they're they're new and they're tight and they hurt. You don't want to notice your shoes. You don't want to notice the manager either. Yeah. And I, I think Brad Osmus, at least in the last couple of weeks, maybe a couple of months, has become very very noticeable just by sort of inserting his presence into the game that way. And that I guess that's the thing that I think, um I don't remember Jim Leland doing that. No. I don't remember him from the seventh inning on making constant moves that made you think, What you know, I can't figure out what you're doing and so I don't know if that's just rookie uh you know, manager, you know, kinks that you gotta work through or if or if uh, he's he's hearing voices from the bench that are, you know, telling him to do this. I, I don't know.
1: Yeah, I I, I I wouldn't see Gene Lamont wanting to sit, making some of these moves, you know, considering all those years he spent as uh, the right hand man of Jim Leland, and uh, it's Oh, God, uh, it, it's as a fan, and obviously you know, and we've touched this with other guests that these guys make decisions for a reason. They have more numbers at their uh, at their disposal than we do. They have more experience at their disposal. They know the game. they you know, but. Some of these decisions just seem to be very basic, fundamental type decisions that make absolutely no sense at all.
0: And, yeah. and I've, yeah. I've pointed this out before to other, mm-hmm. you know, people. My kind of working theory on this is: look, Brad Ausmus spent most of his career playing in the National League.
1: I was going to bring that up. Take words
0: right out of my mouth. So yeah, I don't know how much of that is influencing. You know, he spent a lot of time, a lot of time, sixteen years, maybe fifteen years, something like that. Mm-hmm. You know, under National League management, learning the ropes. You know, so it just certainly seems like a lot of this stuff that he's doing could maybe be explained by, you know, by that. And gosh, you know, I, I've never been a fire the manager kind of guy. You know, yeah. my, my ongoing view is the manager doesn't matter. But, nine nine times out of ten, he's not supposed to. But more and more, I'm thinking, I'm not saying fire Osmus, but if they did let him go this year, I wouldn't would, be like yeah.
1: sad. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> I, I, you know, I agree with you there. I, I really do think that, uh, He tends to fall on the side of National League style strategy, and you're not going to win in the American League by playing, by really smoking on the small ball crap and trying to stop what, you know, pulling the infield in so early in games because you're not facing pitchers at the plate, for example. No, that's just not going to fly in the American League. And, yeah, I'm with you that I don't see it happening, and. You know, we do have to remember this team is in first place, and the odds are very, very good. Even if they don't win the division, they're going to make a wild card. Uh, The Tigers aren't going to fire Brad Ausmus, but I can't help but wonder during that Minnesota series what Ron Gardenhire could do with this team, and that uh, a guy like him, uh, or or, you know, a Joe Madden or, or or Terry Francona, what those kind of managers could do with this Tigers team. And uh, I don't think we'd be talking yeah. about a lot of these situations.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, but, you know, the flip side, the, the logical sane side of that mm-hmm. is, you know, if they got rid of Brad Osmus, then you're opening up to who in the hell would they fill that void with? You want to see Ron Washington manage the team or, or Dusty <laughs> Baker managing the team after that. So, you know, on the one hand, I can say I wouldn't be sad to see Brad go. On the other hand, I'd be, you know, fearful to see what would come in his yeah. his replacement.
1: And what's funny this and and if we all remember going back, you know, to last offseason, uh, last off season, Brad Osmus was the hot hire. And, and, and the Tigers were universally praised for the hiring of Brad Osmus. How things have changed in less than a year. Yeah, again,
0: it's it, this is the theme, you know, is, is the expectations that you set and how far it hurts, you know, when you fall that far, how much that hurts. Uh, the expectation was so high with Brad Osmus. Oh, he's a young guy. He's Ivy League educated. He's going to be a sabermetric guru. We're going to finally get some new, out of the box, you know, out of, thinking out of the box strategies, you know, and to see him be almost. You know, I don't want to say worse than Leland, but in a sense, you know, more certainly more head scratching than Leland is just that's a long way to fall.
1: Yeah. Well, we do have to take into effect, though. We pretty much knew what Jim Leland was going to do because he had been around for so long and actually had been running teams for so long, not just the Tigers, that you could at least accept why he was doing some of the things he did, because, you know, he was the the crusty old manager, kind of set in his ways, but was very successful in those ways. Osmus doesn't have that track record. Uh, and even if the – I'll be I'll be honest with you, I'm getting the feeling if the Tigers end up making the playoffs and making a long run or even winning the World Series, I'm kind of falling on the Tigers would do it in spite of Brad Ausmus, not because of Brad Ausmus.
0: So yeah, I I think you're right, but there's the, there's the trick is is that if the Tigers go ahead and and win, you know, or, mm-hmm. or, or make a deep run at least yeah. in, the, in the in the postseason, then there is always that argument to say, see, Brad Ausmus was not that bad, mm-hmm. when in reality it might be that they just simply outplayed you know the situations that he put them in, yeah, and, and so you, you go. Uh, you know, it's the same thing with the Royals and and, and their problems with Ned Again, Yost. You we're, know, we're
1: thinking alike here. I'm I'm gonna it's gonna be interesting to see this matchup of wits between yeah. Yost and auspices <laughs> Who's gonna out Yost to
0: the other? <laughs> uh, but uh, I, I know Royals fans are just kind of fed up with with Ned Yost, and, and, yes, they and are. in that sense, you almost want the Royals to lose. So that they can finally get rid of Ned Yost, you know, yeah. and that's the the conundrum that they find themselves in. We want to win. On the other hand, if we win, we got to deal with this management, you know, for who knows how much longer. Because then you can say, mm-hmm. see, winning success, yep. you know, same thing with Brad Ausmus. If the Tigers end up winning, uh, I think we're stuck with them. So, what do yeah. you? What, which is the lesser of two evils? I, I think you yeah, we know well, the answer to that. Give me yeah. the World Series. I'll deal with Brad for the next yeah. couple years. Yeah,
1: ex- I think well, yeah, that's best, the best way to put it. If this team wins. I could care less who's running the team. But if they don't, there are going to be a lot of questions to ask, and one of them is going to be this Brad Osmus, the right manager. But then again, we could also factor in that maybe he needs a year to get his sea C- legs, so to speak. Maybe he'll have an idea. You know, because right now I still just don't get a sense of Brad Ausmus as to what kind of a manager is he. Uh, you know, what you know is he obviously he's not a Joe Madden type, but he's not a Jim Leland type. He's just some sort of, right now, he's just some sort of weird mishmash. And I get the feeling that he's trying to figure his way out, as, a, as a, at least strategically as a manager, because, as you said, some of his decisions seem to be pure push-button. This is what the book says. But then some of his other decisions feel like he's trying to impose his will on the game when he shouldn't be.
0: Yeah, and and, and I don't know. I mean, where do you go from that? It's mm-hmm. We we want him to think outside the box. We really do.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Just not like that. And maybe he yeah. like maybe maybe because of his National League, uh, what's the word? Upbringing, I guess. Yeah, know, I guess a
1: good way to put
0: it. That you know maybe that's as far as he'll ever think outside the box, uh, and and maybe that's as best as it'll get. I I really don't know. I really don't know. Right. You just well, hope that the Tigers are are good enough talent wise to to overcome whatever. You know, obstacles yeah. he, he might throw into the game, which he shouldn't be throwing any into the game.
1: Mm-hmm. He I is, think. so. Yeah, yeah, it's. Uh, well, enough about Brad Ospice, or we'll both lose our, our minds if we haven't already. A uh, couple other things we need to touch on. Uh, Annabelle Sanchez, uh, he's thrown off the mound, may return before the end of the regular season. Uh, it's pretty obvious at this point uh, he's not going to be stretched out enough. There's only 10 games left in the season. If he even returns before the end of the season, it's going to be his relief pitcher if the Tigers move on in the postseason. I have a feeling he is definitely going to be the guy who goes to the pen, the the fifth starter, so to speak, because just because of the medical situation. Uh, where would you like to see you, uh, them use Sanchez? Because this could be one of you know, as much as we railed about the use of Joaquin Soria and and Joe Nathan, you know, all of a sudden you have this ex- excellent starting pitcher uh, available for use in the bullpen. Uh, you know, you, you, would you want to use him in the wrong relief, you know, say bringing him in in the sixth inning and have him finish a game? Uh, you want him to use as setup, maybe, you know, cu- you know, in the same sort of role that for, we saw back Scherzer in against the A's in the playoffs last year. Hell, even as a closer, how would you like to start a with Hannibal Sanchez on the mound? I'd feel pretty good about that. So, what's your thoughts on this?
0: Uh, assuming that, that he's healthy, you know, enough to, to throw, um, you know, several innings. I know. I know he's not going to be good enough to go six deep into a game, but assuming you can get, you know, two three innings out of him, I would honestly, I would use him exactly the way Sparky Anderson used Willie Hernandez.
1: Yeah, and bring him in in the seventh. Yep. Let him Finish. Bring yeah. him in in the
0: seventh and let him ride it out to the ninth. And if he mm-hmm. somehow falters, you know, then you've got more options. You know,
1: Aurelio Lopez is a back or... <laughs> Yeah, right.
0: You have Joaquin Soria, no, You have, you know, uh,
1: yeah, the late senior smoke. Okay, I'm sorry. Yeah. Okay, go ahead.
0: No, just that. I, that's exactly how I do. I, I would I would yeah. bring him in, uh, whenever necessary, whether it's the seventh, the eighth, the ninth, and, mm-hmm. and let him finish the game.
1: Yeah, that's, that seems to be the most uh, logical way to use him. You know, that way you you know you might be able you probably be able to get the most bang for the buck. I guess it would be the way to do it because yeah, just say go, you know, ride with um for example, Justin Verlander for six, Anibal Sanchez finished the game. I'd I'd like the odds of the Tigers winning that game, to be honest with you.
0: Right. It it goes back to, you know, you use the best arm out of the pen, and you use them the most often to get the most uh, value, you know, in a Mm -hmm. postseason. And so, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but, you know, as we've said all along, bullpen pitchers are just failed starters to begin with. Yeah. You have in Sanchez a legit starter who's simply pitching out of the pen because he's not stretched out because of the injury and whatever. So, Mm -hmm. automatically, de facto, he becomes the best pitcher in the pen.
1: Yep. Yeah. And I there totally
0: you go. agree there. So he yeah. he should pitch out of relief as often as possible. Imagine the possibilities. If he does come in, Verlander goes six, Sanchez comes in, goes seven, eight, nine. Your your entire bullpen gets a night off.
1: Yep. And you likely have a W. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, that really sounds like uh you know much that's much the way that the Giants use Tim Limsicum. Back in, what, 2012, for example. It worked out well for them. They won a World Series. Oh, that's right. And I, beat the Tigers. They i forgot about them. Yeah, thanks to Tim Linsicum throwing multiple innings. Thanks, in for, uh,
0: thanks for bringing up that series.
1: <laughs> oh, God, get you depressed again. I'm sorry. <laughs> All right, well, this won't depress you. In the middle of the order. Now, this is funny. You know, as much as we've been railing about uh, the Tigers struggling, and, you know, mostly just because of these last two games weren't anything else, and the fact that we're actually in a pennant race, and, you know, people are kind of spooked by that. Uh, you can't if the Tigers end up not winning the division, not making the playoffs, it won't be the fault of the three, four, five hitters. Miguel Cabrera has been absolutely unreal. He's leading the entire league in September, hitting four sixty nine. He's getting on base at over a five hundred clip and he's slugging over eight hundred. His OPS is one point three plus. He's got six home runs, twelve RBI. JD Martinez is a bit almost as good, which is amazing. Uh, His OPS in September is 1.178, and he leads the American League with 17 RBI in September. And and for that matter, Victor Martinez, he's only hitting 383, 456, 667. That's only a 1.123 OPS. And uh, I think uh, it's, uh, when I see those numbers, I'm absolutely flabbergasted the Tigers aren't just walking away from the division at this point, at least not in these last few weeks. Because these guys have, yeah. have done their job,
0: they have been incredible to watch, and 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 as we've seen, you know, they've been kind of the uh, the part of that recipe in those late innings games, mm-hmm. you know, where they've come back with the big home runs. I know Maggie hit one of those. JD uh, Martinez obviously hit hit one. I think Victor hit one of them, yeah, as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're absolutely, you know, coming through exactly when they need when the team needs them the most. Yeah. So you know, I agree completely. If they, if you know, if they don't walk away with this in the next, you know, how, how many games left? Ten, right? Ten games as of tonight. Right. So if they don't just kind of walk away go seven and three or eight and two over the next ten, with these guys hitting the way they are, mm-hmm. let's just put it this way. The, the, the offense, the way these guys have been performing is only serving to underscore where the other weaknesses are.
1: Because
0: mm-hmm. you can't yeah. blame it on the offense anymore.
1: Yeah, yeah. At least not on those guys. But then you can no. make a good point at, um, you know, Ian Kensler. And the bottom of the order struggling, and I, you know, and it, playing into this is the fact that uh, I th- I think it's I don't I don't know if it's a coincidence if I want to play it that, but Alex Avila wasn't behind the plate in those two games in uh, that they lost in Minnesota because of his concussion symptoms. I haven't checked yet to see if he's going to be in the lineup tonight, but I I really feel more comfortable with the Tigers when Avila's behind the plate. You no, know, I you know, especially take the offense out of the question. I you know. I I just I I like the way I just feel like this team is better off when he they have Alex Avila behind the plate handling the pitchers, and I think that might be a very underrated reason why the Tigers, you know, may struggle down the stretch if they don't have Alex Avila behind the plate.
0: Yeah, I'm with you. On that. I absolutely feel a lot more confident when Avila's back there catching and just knowing the, you know, kind of the relation that he has with the pitchers and they talk about being more comfortable with him and even from the offense side i know he's only a 220 and some change hitter but if i'm not mistaken we were just talking about the late innings you know the the home run heroics i think he's the one that got that started in cleveland if i'm not mistaken yeah so yeah um i i'd much prefer to see him than than brian holiday or even you know i know it's sacrilege to say but even than james mccann yeah so let's let's hope that he gets you know is healthy enough to, to get back in the lineup soon no
1: well, it's not tonight they just brought up the lineup and then uh it's mccann getting the start Boy, well who captured oh that's a shocker who kidnapped brad osmus yeah <laughs> yeah it's pretty much a standard lineup except he's going with mccann and, um, and suarez uh, instead of uh, holiday and uh, romine so well why not <laughs> yeah, what the hell, huh? Let's throw caution to the wind. Now let's start playing the rookies. Yeah. You have to win a right. game. In the biggest series of the year. <laughs>
0: let's experiment now that we're in Kansas yeah. City. Okay.
1: Ah <laughs> oh, jeez. All right, let's um start wrapping this up. Uh Royal Series. Biggest pretty much the is obviously I think uh, it's hard, you know obviously it's a tough understand, but it's it's the biggest series of the year for both teams at least you know to this point of the year now that could yes. change definitely if the Tigers have to win four games next weekend or something but no you
0: know, let, let, let's just face it the, 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 yeah the playoffs start tonight
1: yeah uh due, okay and this you know due to numbers uh, due to the suspended game that Kansas City has to make up of Cleveland, they are essentially one the Tigers are essentially one game up even though the standings say one half game late if the Royals sweep this series, they'll have a two-game lead in the central. If they take two or three, series is uh, the – and this is, I think, pretty much taken in – it's one game right now. Uh, if, the, if the Tigers take two or three, they're essentially tied. Tigers take two or three. They have a two-game lead. If they sweep, they're up four or three and a half, however you want to say it. Do the Tigers just need to avoid a sweep-hook slide, or is this one of those things where they got to win the series? They've got to take two or three.
0: I think for this, I mean, yeah, I don't know from the math standpoint, from the logistics, you don't know who's going to win or lose after Kansas City. And I'm talking about the the opponents that the Tigers face and the ones that the Kansas City Royals face. So simply from a, you know, I don't want to have to drink all the Jack Daniels this weekend. (laughs) uh, They have to win as many games as they possibly can in this series just to get, I think, that buffer. Yeah. So, do they have to sweep? No, probably not. Uh, two out of three. Yeah. Now we're getting closer to you know make or break territory. If they come away with only one out of these three, oh man, that's not good.
1: Yeah, because that yeah, if they only win one of the three, that means they're going to be depending on other teams in the Central to help them win this division. And not very good ones. And and yeah. And remember, they've
0: got four more games against the Twins, right?
1: Yep, four of the Twins, okay. and I believe three with the is it the White Sox. Yeah, all I, I, at least that at home for which for whatever reason the Tigers have played well not very well. they're
0: not very good at home this year. So I, I think maybe later I'll have to get the spreadsheet out and do the math. But I, I think they've played 500 ball against both the White Sox and the Twins. Mm-hmm. So you could kind of look at that and say, yeah, they're going to split the twin series and go two and two, and they're going to maybe maybe win two against the White Sox. Is that enough to, yeah. you know,
1: clinch? Well, I got the numbers up right now. Uh, if you combine the records of the White Sox and the Twins, the Tigers are one game under 500. Ouch. Yeah, they're 8-8 against the uh, White Sox, and the Twins obviously lead the Tigers 8-7 in the season series right now. Yeah, they just need to sweep Kansas City. (laughs) (laughs) That would would uh, take a lot of drama out of
0: it. Right, right. Because, see, the nice thing was when we had that, you know, one-and-a-half game lead or whatever, Mm -hmm. did you notice, you know, even if the Tigers were losing, you could always say, well, so is Kansas City, so nothing changes. You do not want to be in a situation where they're behind Kansas City after the series.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that's, uh, yeah, then you're asking the Royals to blow it, essentially. Right, right. Yeah. Well, right now the Tigers have 84 wins. I think, uh, 90 or 91 is going to win the division. So the Tigers got to win at least six or seven out of the next 10. That's entirely possible, and they probably should if you factor in the teams you're ending the season with in the White Sox and Twins. But, uh, this has been a weird year all the way around. I'm not, betting on, i wouldn't be willing to bet on anything at this point nope nope
0: like you said 10 games left and they should easily be able to take at least six if not seven when you talk about the offense the way it's been going in that middle of the order that we just talked about in the the you know much vaunted starting rotation of detroit this should be a cakewalk but the way things have been going so far yeah i i don't know i, I never expected the a's to sink like a stone in the bottom of the sea either yeah and that happened so i don't know
1: that's a good way to end it. I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen. There you go. <laughs> I don't know what's going to happen this weekend. I don't know how the season's going to end. Other than I'm, I'm right now, I'm pretty sure that the A's aren't going to end up winning, the, winning a wild card. So there's always that option. But I don't want the wild card game. I don't want to live through another, essentially, a game 163 again. I just do not. No. Know if my constitution can take it. I know mine can't, so. yeah. <laughs> All right, let's wrap up this show because, well, let's, uh, we got things to do, and i got a recap to do tonight, and and obviously it's a big weekend of baseball. We're going to be busy. At Bless you, boys. So, uh, Hookslide, where can they find you online? Oh, you find
0: me on Twitter at HookslideBYB and on Gmail, HookslideBYB at
1: com. As always, you can find me at BigLBYB, and, of course, you find both of us well, quite often, pretty much daily, at uh, com. And I'm not even sure who's running Twitter tonight. I think I'm supposed to do it tomorrow. But one of us will be on the Twitter, you know, be it myself, Rob, Oak maybe even Fielder's Choice. We've added someone else to the rotation. And, boy, he got a blessing of, uh, by fire. The other night. He, he was yeah. the one tweeting the Joe Nathan game. Yeah, poor yeah. guy. That's just, that's bad. So. Yeah. <laughs> As you put it, though, oh, well, they lost. Well, i you'll fit right in yeah. with the rest of us. You'll We're all jinxed <laughs> at this right. point.
0: <laughs> you know, I was on Twitter, I had the Wednesday game. Yeah, and uh, somebody tweeted at me and said, "Who's tweeting from the account tonight? Please let it not be the jinxed one, not the jinxed one." And I just wrote back and said, Who, which are, you, one? "Are you kidding me? We're all jinxed at this point." Yeah.
1: <laughs> but I, obviously, I think they're referring to Kurt. And yes, right. he's not tweeting anymore. He is recused. We've well, he, essentially been recused from tweeting because of said jinx, or at least the believed. Yeah. Of the jinx i think we're all sure.
0: jinxed then. i yeah flat out, i flat out said to this person i said well that's why we're shutting down the account after this series
1: so <laughs> we're done yeah I'll, I'll say this i whenever i'm on the, on twitter i've given up making predictions <laughs> oh yeah this game's in the bag god forbid they yeah. don't put it in the bag that's
0: a wise move on your part
1: yeah all right let's wrap up this show so uh, once again we'd like to uh Thank Rod Allen um, for taking time out of his busy, busy weekend to, uh, t- to talk with us. Obviously, next week, we going to look out for um, Dan Dickerson, uh, Tiger's radio play-by-play man, who will be uh, uh, looking very much forward to talking about uh, Dan and his thoughts on uh, the Tigers and where they stand. and for the, we, we may have a lot to talk about with Dan next week, depending on how this week goes. And, uh, obviously, uh, thanks to you, Hook Slide, as well, for taking time out of your busy day to talk baseball. So, with that, let's wrap it up. So, until this time next week, where I have no idea what in the hell this team's going to do to us, but we'll be here either way. This is Al Beaton saying good afternoon and good luck along with Hookslide. Uh, buy stock in Jack Daniels now. I already have. And we'll talk more about that stock on the next Pleasure Boys podcast.
2: Ha, <laughs> ha, That'll get him out of the old ballpark. That's good advice. Thanks, big fella.